So, Carrie, would you close out our prayer time um, with Thanksgiving? And then would you pray for our time together in worship and the word, please? Father, we come to you, God, just with grateful hearts. I know that in trying times and in difficult times, just as people, it can be secondary to be grateful. But, Father, may we always be purposeful to have thanksgiving on our lips first in all things. In joy and in trials. Father, that we would be thankful. Father, first and foremost, thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. For through him, hope is possible. And that is how we continue to go. Each day through the hope of Christ. So Father, we come together this morning thanking you for the hope of Christ. That is how we continue, God. No matter the outcome, no matter the future of our nation, no matter what may even happen while we're meeting today, this world, our nation could fall apart in the next couple of hours, God. But we have the hope of Christ. So we are grateful for your hand of protection. We're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for your love. But most of all, we're grateful for the salvation of Jesus. And Father, we come together this morning not taking for granted the privilege that we have for however long we have it to meet with this freedom that we have. And God, we come together also remembering to uplift those who don't have that freedom. God, the persecuted church, as we hear stories each and every day of more, Father, of those who have given their lives for the gospel. Father, we ask that you would be with the persecuted church today all over the world. God, encourage them as they are meeting. God, lift up their countenance to you, God. For those that are being tortured for the faith, or for those that are jailed for the faith, for those that are meeting God with fear of being found out, God, we ask for your provision, your protection, your healing power in their life, God, and encourage them this day. And may the gospel continue to go forth, and may your name be made famous all over the world by the courage and the boldness that they have through the power of the Holy Spirit, God. Yes. And we thank you for the privilege and the honor that we have today to come together, yes. to rejoice in the Lord. Yes. In your name, amen. Amen. amen.
have that played over us one more time.
Jesus. Thank, Thank you, Father. <coughs> Thank you, God, for there's no one like you, Lord. Yes. You are our strong tower. For those who are in Christ, this is our hope. There's no other name above your name, Lord. And at your name, every knee will bow. For you are the Holy One. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are our salvation, our hope. The banner that goes before us and our rear guard. What can mere mortals do to us? For we do not fear man. For we are in Christ. And know how I pray that those who are listening today, God, are in Christ. And if they're not, then I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That a new birth would come forth and the chains would fall off and eyes would be open and ears would hear and heaven would rejoice because one called upon the name of Jesus and was saved. So have your way among us this day, Lord. Oh, how I pray, God, that there would be no distractions. That, God, as we come and we open up your word, as we come to sit at your feet to hear from you, Holy Spirit, have your way among us. May we be attentive. May we respond as needed, because you know exactly where each one of us are at and what our needs are for this moment and for this day. So have your way, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God. Good morning. We're going to open up over the next Sundays in this new year, reminding us of the scriptures that I've laid before us for this new year in the three R's. And those three R's are repentance. And again, I'm going to give the definition each week. The action of repenting sincere regret or remorse. The second one is resolve to decide firmly on a course of action. Make up one's mind. And then to release the act of setting free or letting go. Last week I walked through the scriptures for repentance. That's the foundation for the Christian life. We're called into repentance we're called to come and to humble ourselves before Almighty God to receive salvation through Christ and Christ alone. We recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Not of our own doing, not because of our religious works, not because of anything of us, but because of all that Christ has accomplished. Through the cross, through the resurrection, He has ascended up and He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the seat of victory. This is our hope as believers. And we come to that hope through repentance. And I encourage you, 
that as you go through this new year, think upon these three R's daily. Because repentance is just not a one-shot prayer, one-time prayer. No, it's every day. It's every day. The Bible says that the flesh and the spirit war against each other with inside. First John tells us, he writes us in hopes that we will not sin, but if we do, that we are to remember the one who is seated, who is our great intercessor, the one who has already came and defeated sin and death. We can come boldly to him and ask and receive his forgiveness to be healed, to be, to be restored, to be renewed. But to resolve, I want to focus on that today. To decide firmly on a course of action, to make up one's mind. And that's what I want to encourage us throughout this, throughout this year, is to make up your mind every day to follow Christ, to consider the cost, if you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're saying that you are in Christ, if you're saying you've recognized your need for Him and of His great love towards you, if you've humbled yourself, then make up your mind to remain humbled. Make up your mind not to become religious. Make up your mind not just, just to go the ways of the lukewarm, but make up your minds to serve Christ, to live for Christ, and to die for self. Remember what the scripture says. How does he renew us? By changing the way we think. By changing the way we think. The Bible also tells us that we need to take thought. Every <laughs> captive, every thought that exalts itself up above Jesus and above his truth. And so I want to ask us today, how did you do this week? And when you see that you didn't do well, don't turn it inward and, oh, I'm a bad Christian. Oh, look how horrible I am. No, that's the ways of the flesh. Nothing good can come from that. You have to take your eyes off yourself and keep them fixed upon Christ. And you have to be honest before Christ. No, there is areas this week that I did not take thoughts captive. God, help me. Holy Spirit, be quick to convict me. Give me the power that I know your word says that you've given me everything I need to live a godly life. So help me to walk in the spirit. Help me to be mindful that I'm to take every thought captive that is not true to your word, that tries to exalt itself up above your throne, above your rule over my life. And what are these thoughts? Thoughts for yourself. Thoughts that come to you that gives you the right to yourself. You've died to self as a believer. You're to consider yourself dead, but alive in Christ. Those selfish motives. Remember the Bible says, where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. But we have got to make up our mind... As the Word of God says, that we have nailed those desires to His cross and we've crucified them there. That we are a new creation. And that's why I encourage you all, you need to get discipled. You need to be in the Word of God. Not just reading it or hearing it, but living it. Applying it. 
Because when you take that thought captive, you got to exchange it for something that's true. And if you don't know Scripture, you don't know truth, you're going to be beaten up left and right by the enemy, by the world, and by your flesh. So you got to be able to make up your mind every day. And that's why I've been encouraging us, when you wake up every single day, you are behind enemy lines. You can't take this for granted. I've walked 20 some odd years with Christ. But every day before my feet hits that floor, I remind myself I'm a dead man. That I belong to Christ. And then as I'm going about my day, I need to continually to remind myself. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm living for Christ. Your kingdom. Your glory. Your power. It is all you, Lord. You have to get grounded. You have to get rooted in order for your mind to be renewed as you're learning the words and the truth of Christ and of life and of living. When you're applying it, it is a battle. It is a war. Remember, you woke up and you're behind enemy lines. The enemy is not pleased that you are still on this earth. If you are a child of God, you are marked, you are set apart for his purpose, and the enemy knows it. Why do you think the enemy has been trying to destroy you since the moment you took birth, and some even before you came from the womb? Because he knows that God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. That God has created good things for each of us to do, for his kingdom, for his glory, and by his power. And right now, this earth is ruled by Satan. He has authority over this earth. And we're talking about a realm that we cannot see. We're talking about a force that in and of ourselves we cannot address. But in Christ, that's the position of a believer. You are in Christ. You've got to know your position. But above all, you've got to know who you're in. Who is he? Is he just the weak-willed Jesus that is peddled out to people? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, before I came to Christ, that's how I viewed Christ. Weak. No power. And that's why I sought the, the foolishness of the world trying to gain some insight and some power of the supernatural. That's what a lot of people do. So we turn and, and we look outward for something greater, for something to serve, to some, for something to fulfill us. But that need was always meant for Christ. He's the creator. But what we do as the created, we reject the creator, and then we create a creator in our own image. And we make him weak. We make him useless. We make him of no power and no strength. And we will even slap the name of Jesus on him. And we may get emotional around thinking of his birth. And what we conceive his birth to be, 
Oh, we may even get emotional about his ministry on this earth and what a good teacher he was. And we may even get emotional about him being dragged and beaten and nailed to the cross. And we may even get a little emotional when we discuss the resurrection. And yet he's still not God to us. Our emotions mean nothing. Our emotions come to here today and they're gone tomorrow. We trample his blood as if it's common, as if it's nothing. We giggle and we laugh and we get caught up in all the craziness of this earth while it's grieving the heart of the creator of the earth. I mean, does not even make sense to talk about Jesus and to make him out to be nothing? I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, I go to church, and yet our lives are not even changed. We show up when we want to show up, we do when we want to do, we give when we want to give, we serve when we want to serve, and then we'll pat ourselves on the back, well, at least that's what we did. And we have no clue of really who he is. Listen, you all, from the beginning to the end, he's God. He's the creator. And oh, when your eyes have been opened to see truly for who he is, you can't help but humble yourself. I keep reminding of, us of, of that, to humble ourselves. He's God. We're not to reject him any longer. We're not to continue to walk in rebellion towards his kingdom we have a belief and we have a confession that he is the son of God and that he's risen from the dead and that should shape our life because that belief and that confession transforms us. That Jesus says we are now born again of a new nature. And so we've got to learn how to walk, to live, to breathe in this newness of life. Who are we now? And if you're not getting discipled, if you're not drawing closer to Jesus, if you're not in fellowship with believers, if you're not seeking him, then what did you gain? Nothing. You gained nothing. So that's why you must make up your mind every single day that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he rose from the dead. And because of that belief and that confession, I've been born again of a new nature. I can choose to go back and do what I used to do, but I've already made up my mind, why would I? Why would I? Nothing good comes from that. It only leads to death. It only leads to rebellion towards his kingdom. Why should I yoke myself to the old man, to the old woman? Dead men and dead women have no rights. You've got to make up your mind. The only way to live now is for Christ. And in and of myself, I do not understand that. That's why I must seek him. The Bible says if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with your whole heart, not a divided heart. Jesus is not impressed with you seeking him with a divided heart. Because he knows how wicked that is. It is faith in Christ and in Christ alone that he is pleased with. 
And we understand that faith without works is dead. And the works in which the Bible talks about is not religion, but it's the fruit that comes from your life because of your belief and your confession and you being born again of the Spirit. You can't help but live for Jesus. doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, but you're going to be maturing. And even if you do go back and waller in the mud or return back to your vomit, you quickly feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that reminds you you don't belong there. So stop fighting with the Holy Spirit. Stop fighting to try to demand your rights to your old life when you've confessed that you've died to it. Get up from there and move on. Repent. Resolve. Make up your mind to move forward. Listen to these scriptures on resolve. Philippians 4 verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Every single day, these verses should be before you. These verses should come from your lips to your ears. (laughs) Listen to this. For I could do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Psalm 118, verse 6 through 8. The Lord is for me, so I have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look and triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 25. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Could you imagine if you woke up each and every single day and and, and you resolved to, 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 to understand that you are to be pursuing, to be persevering, to be running the race to win. To discipline yourself. To gain the eternal prize. I was reading a devotion this morning to to Norma and to Gilda about having your mind set upon that of the eternal. The reward that awaits you as a believer in heaven. And if you think upon these things, the Bible encourages you, you will be strengthened. No matter what your circumstances are, you won't get so caught up in the temporalness of this life. And when the, when, the, when the church, when Paul wrote the church to encourage them to look up, when all we see through the writers, through the Bible, they're encouraging us to look up. Because our redemption is drawing near. There's so much more to life than the temporalness of this world. We were created for the eternal. And those who are in Christ will gain the riches of his kingdom because of what he has accomplished. So when you set your hope in Christ, 
when you resolve, when you make up your mind that your hope is found in Christ and in Christ alone. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm living for Christ. I'm announcing His kingdom's coming. His will will be done. I'm, I'm calling people to repentance. I, I'm, 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 I'm moving in the ministry of reconciliation that He's given each of us to call people to turn to Christ, to come to Christ, to be saved. When I resolve, when I make up my mind, then I can endure through whatever comes my way or comes at me. No matter how life is going to batter up against me, I will survive. I posted yesterday about these two young girls, Christian young women, who were kidnapped and brutally raped for days. Their captors mutilated their bodies, all because they were Christians. And they left their bodies like trash. And you go, God, help the persecution. Help the, the believers that are enduring such... God, I, I, can't even, I can't even grasp the hell that these young girls had to endure. But they didn't give up hope in Christ. Their church and their families, oh, how we need to pray for them. But they haven't given up hope in Christ. And I said, what... Must those young girls have been thinking when they were going through their captivity? They were thinking upon that which was eternal. <laughs> they were thinking upon that which was eternal. No matter the hell that they endured, they have gained their prize. They have walked into heaven. And they are experiencing the riches of his kingdom because they did not forsake him in the hour of their persecution. And I keep saying it to us. I keep posting these stories. I keep reminding us that the level of persecution on this earth for Christians is at, a, is at an all-time high like never before. And we over in the West... We can't even stand when life batters us. When your bills can't be paid, all of a sudden we crumble and we're not following Christ. When temptation hits us, we give in and we reject Him right away and we fall right into it. We're afraid to tell people about Jesus because we don't know what their reaction is going to be. Or even if we do tell them, they react ugly and then it shuts us down. We can't even stand. And yet, and yet, it's coming. It's coming. While our brothers and sisters are experienced over there, it's coming. And I'm moved by testimonies of Christians and, and ministries and its families within our own nation that have had to endure uh, craziness, 
people going after their businesses, people going after their character, people going after them every which way, trying to shut them down, but yet they're still standing. They still believe in Christ. They're still announcing His kingdom, and they're still preaching the gospel. (laughs) You need to ask yourself, are you standing for Christ? Have you resolved that? Have you made up your mind? It's Christ and Christ alone. So run the race. Win the prize. Get disciplined in your life. Galatians 5, verse 24 through 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. Make up your mind that you belong in the those. (laughs) Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just the part of our lives we want to give Jesus, but every part. Every part. This is the Christian life. This is what it means to live for Christ. Again, before I was a Christian, I hated church. I hated Christians. I hated Jesus. They were weak. They were pathetic. They they displayed no power. They were just as miserable and holier thou. Bunch of crazy folks. But not all of them. As I've shared before, the majority of them, yeah, they were. But there was always those few who would stand out to me. Like, oh, they're different. (laughs) They're not like the rest of the Christians. They were the ones that when we're challenged, they didn't buckle in what they believe and who they believed and who their God was. But unfortunately, the majority of Christians that were challenged by me and others that were with me on their faith, they buckled. They cowered down. Or there will be one day in our face telling us how God hates us and that we need Jesus and yet the next night they're in the bar with us or they're having sex with us. That is the most craziest thing. Watching them live this tormented life. But when Jesus stepped in to my tormented life, and hopefully to your, into your tormented life. But when he stepped into my tormented life, I told you all, the first response I had was my, the pills fell from my hands, my head went over my head, and the first things that came out of my mouth was, oh, Jesus, you're real. His presence was so strong. His words pierced my soul. And I couldn't help but humble myself. In his great love, he lavished it upon me. When my whole life I was told he hated me. And then you expect me to just go to church and pretend that he's God? That okay, I'm a Christian. Okay, I'll just, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
and you just live this weird life. Oh, no, no, no. It radically changes me. It radically should change you. Because that's what the Word of God says. (laughs) He transforms us. We are a new creation. Bound to His kingdom. (laughs) Slave to righteousness. Behold, all things are new. We rejoice in Him. Our desires are no longer for this, but for Him. We long to be with Him and to be in His presence. We have made up our minds that He's God. See, that's how you ought to be living. If you're not experiencing that as a Christian, well, then we need to talk because something's wrong. I told you the enemy doesn't mind you just going to church. The enemy doesn't mind you being religious. I told you years ago, do not learn your theology from the devil. Do not let the world and those lukewarm Christians teach you about Jesus. Because the Jesus that they're teaching you is not Jesus. It's of the devil. And we're warned throughout Scripture. We're warned throughout Scripture that the wolves are among us. We've got to learn how to beat them back. We've got to learn how to stand in the assurance of who He is, not who we are. Oh, we've got to learn, you all, we got to recognize that we've nailed those desires, those passions to his cross. And now we're allowing the spirit of God, whom we received when we've called out to him, to lead us. God within us. The Holy Spirit, you all. And the Bible says that we're not to live lives that grieve him. And then finally, Romans 6, verse 11 through 12. This is a scripture that I've highlighted and I hope you're memorizing throughout this year. I would encourage you to memorize all of them. But if you're just going to memorize one, making Romans 6, verse 11 through 12. So you also should consider yourself dead to the power of sin and made alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let it rule you. You're dead to it. And now you've been made alive to God through Christ Jesus. Ah, oh, this is the good news, you all. To resolve. To make up your mind. Let's go to John 10.10. 10. I got some scriptures that I just want to give us. And hopefully you'll, you'll chew on throughout the week. John 10.10. I hope you have your Bibles with you in church. If it's the actual Bible, if it's the the phone app, or whatever it is. Oh, how I pray you come to church with your sword so that you're learning how to use it. John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. These are Jesus' words. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus lays out this understanding. 
It's the thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he's come to give us, Jesus, life and life in abundance. And oh, how you should be experiencing that. And that doesn't mean the material things, though that could be part of it, but that's not the whole of it. If you're just seeking for Jesus to promote your life in this temporal world, you're seeking the wrong Jesus. He may give you wealth and prosperity on this earth, but it's to be used for his kingdom. And that wealth and that prosperity or any material things that you may have should not lord over you. That's Jesus' position. Remember, it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. <clears throat> Listen to that, to those scriptures. Stop being mad at the lost. Stop blaming the lost for all the chaos that's going on in the world. Stop blaming God for the chaos that's going on in this world because as you've learned last year and hopefully you've carried the truth into this year with you, there is no error found in God. The error is found in the created. But it's the thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is the author of lies and he is the author of chaos. We've got to call it as it is. He's the one that's blinding the hearts and the minds of those who do not believe. They are still under his control. And as believers, we ought to be praying for them because we were once there. And you've got to be doing your diligence, due diligence, and in interceding and praying for your lost loved ones, for those lost in the community, for those lost in our nation, and for those lost throughout the earth. Instead of murmuring and complaining about them. Instead of pointing your fingers and turning up your nose towards them. You ought to be praying. They're lost. They cannot see. They are blinded. And you have the authority in Christ to intercede and to pray for them, to share with them, to serve them, to love them, to make an impact on their life, to, to sow the seeds of truth, to water the seeds of truth, and then to allow the Holy Spirit to harvest the seed. Are you praying for the lost? Do you understand and know your enemy? You can't have an understanding of the enemy if you truly don't understand your God and who He is. 
and understand that you now have been transitioned into light. You're no longer bound to darkness. You are the light to those who are still enslaved. You are to bear the image of God. And yet, hopefully you're not just going along with the loss, acting like the loss, looking like the loss, desiring what they desire. They should see you're different. You're odd. They should know you by your love and by your service. That's what they should know you by. Listen, they are blinded. They are unable to see. They don't understand the message of Christ. But share, serve, love. Listen, the Bible tells us too, if you go in and they don't want to hear it, then move on. Then move on. You've sown the seed. Pray. Pray, trust, believe. Be about your father's business. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. We've looked at this before, but I wanted to get these scriptures yet again before us. Chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So when you're thinking upon the the second R to resolve, to to make up your mind, think upon these scriptures as well. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Make up your mind, that's how you're going to live. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against, look at this, all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is what you're fighting against. This is where you're engaging in combative warfare. Not on the temporal plane, but in the heavenlies. And not in your strength, nor by your power, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by understanding the kingdom that you've been engrafted into, you've been adopted into the family of God, you've been given the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy, you've been given right to exercise the authority that is found in Christ. And oh, how we should be praying. Jesus says, He gives us an understanding of what the times are going to look like before his return. We understand as believers that the world is getting darker. But the church is not to be quaking in her dress. No, she's to be dressed for her groom, standing firm, prepared and ready for his arrival. She's not to be tainted or whoring herself out to every lover that comes to her. No, she is to be a bride without spot and blemish. She is to be pure and holy. She is to live for Christ 
and waiting for him. Oh, we got to wake up. We got to understand who he is. We understand the victory that is found in him. Satan has already been defeated. He knows his time is coming. But everything that has been set forth and set out has to turn its hand. All evil has to rise up on this earth because there's going to come a day, the Bible says, that the breaking point is enough and God is sending forth His wrath and His judgment. And we're not to be found in His wrath because we've already been swallowed up by His love. So as Christians, we don't have to fear His wrath because we've already been swallowed up in His love. And this is the hope and this is the peace that we have. And this is why we want to go out and live a life that is a light to the darkness. We've got to get up and prepare every single day. And yet some of us just want to come to church. I just go to church. I just do. I just, And this means nothing. You're still, your minds are still blinded. You're still living on the dominion of Satan. <laughs> and you belong in Christ. So make up your mind this year. Stop wallowing around in darkness and get up and live. Come to Christ. Accept Christ. Be baptized. Get discipled. Live. Live your life for Christ. He goes on and says here, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Now, after describing the realm in which we are engaged in battle with, do you see what he says? Therefore, because of this, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Ah, put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit at all times on, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayer for believers, all believers, elsewhere. Oh, there is a way in which we are called to live, you all. There is a way in which we are called into combative warfare. Not again in and of ourselves, but in Christ. There is a way in which you are to go forth and live your life as a believer. Go to John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, and then verses 10 through 14. All the way back to the book of John chapter 1. Oh, these are incredible scriptures to memorize and to, and to really allow them to, to, to be active in your life. Scriptures that you are applying, because remember the Word of God says we're not only to be hearers of the words, 
but we are to be doers of the word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then verses 10 through 14. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The Word, Jesus, is the living Word. And I love the hope that we can find in verse 5. Yet though this world is getting darker, and it will continue to get darker, Chaos will rule and reign the days. Perversion, strife, anger, murder, you name it, it's on the increase. Selfishness is on the increase. People will become lovers, more lovers of themselves. They will become more and more disobedient to authorities. They will begin to do things unlike we have never seen before on this earth. The Bible says the days are going to get worse than the days of Noah. But verse 5, remember it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Go forth and burn bright. Verse 10, he came, Jesus, into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Ah, listen to that. For those who will not reject him, but those who will believe upon him and call upon him, they are reborn. A new birth comes forth. And it's not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. See, see, that's what should be marking your life. Your new birth comes from God, not from your religious duties, but from God. You can't help but live differently because you're born again. All things are new. The way you think, the way you act, everything about you begins to transform. It's a process. Enjoy the process. Even when it hurts. Even when your past is screaming at you. Even when your desires within you long just to have it once more. Remind yourself, you're dead. I've been born again into the new. And I will not feast of the death of dead things because I've been made alive 
And I long to sit at the table that he has prepared for me. I long to take in the abundance that he has for me. I long to see him for who he is. Not for who I was. See, you shift your focus. And there's a whole new way of living. There's a whole newness that should spring forth from your life. And it's not a burden to live for Christ, you all. If you're feeling burdened to live for Him, it's because you're religious. Religious works will burden you. Religious works will yoke you up to slavery. And you're no different than you were back over here when you weren't in church. (laughs) See, you're either in church or you're in Christ. And freedom comes from being in Christ. You'll never find freedom just being in church. Are you in Christ today? Uh, Do you see him for, for who he is? You see, everything was made through him. Everything was made by him. And everything was made for him. God, do you not see him for who he is? He knew he was going to be rejected. He knew he was going to be despised by his creation. But yet he came to display such great love. To receive those that would turn to him and bow their knee and say, You're God. I'm not. Forgive me. And in an instant, they're born again. John 3, 16 through 21. You say, but pastor, we've already read through these scriptures before. Yeah, we've read them, but are you living them? Are they defining you? Have you made up your mind to believe? Listen, John 3, verse 16 through 21. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And listen to this. And the judgment is based on this fact. You see, God is just. Listen. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But people love the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Do others see that in your life? That you're doing what God wants? That's what they should be seeing. And I've always told you, people just stay on John 3.16. Oh, for God so loved the world. Oh, look, he also says in verse 17, he didn't send him to judge the world, 
And so they twist those scriptures just to keep living however they want. And they don't go any further. You see, those who are in Christ, oh no, they're not going to face any judgment. Remember, they've already submitted themselves to Christ. They're no longer marked for his wrath because they've been swallowed up in his love. But those who reject Christ, those who still love their own life, those who still allow their own life to lead them, to rule them, to lord over them, those who are still yoked to the oppression and the slavery of Satan and doing his bidding, those who reject truth, they already stand judged. The world already stands condemned. That's why God sent His one and only Son. You see, that is the good news. And that's what you ought to be sharing with others. They are either going to feel His wrath and be in a place of torment for eternity. No way out. No one's praying you out of it. No one's giving money to the church to release you from the dominion of hell. Oh, no, no, no. That's where you're at. There's no such thing as purgatory. That is just a, a ruse that the church made up to make money. Look it up. There's no truth to it. And yet people are flocking, praying, giving money, and doing this and doing that to get their loved ones out of purgatory. No, their loved ones, if they're there, they're not in purgatory. They're in hell. There's the truth for you. There's no way of getting anyone out. Once they've taken their last breath, their life, they chose either to reject him or to receive him. To live for him. And we've, we've peddled out this false gospel for generations and generations and generations and generations. The church is so lukewarm. Not all of her. But the religious side of her. They're going to end up in hell. For eternity. Because they would rather be led by darkness than to have darkness within them exposed to light and truth. Oh, we got to wake up. we got to wake up. For God so loved the world, He knew the world already stood condemned when He kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. That's why He said there will come one who is going to crush the serpent's head. Judgment was already set forth. The world, the earth, every created being and every, all the creation of it is now under his judgment. But God so loved the world that he sent forth his son. It was always his plan. It was always his purpose. It's good news. Remember from the beginning of time, even before he spoke and things were formed, God already purposed. To come. The cross was not a, an afterthought. No, it was always purposed, you all. His will and his desire should always to have a people.
that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Back of the book. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 14 through 22. If you want to read the letters to the churches, this is John, the disciple. Not John the Baptist, but John the disciple who was given these divine revelations after they tried to kill him. (laughs) They sent him to this island. He was isolated, but it was the best thing for him because he received such divine revelation. And listen to what was given to him. Jesus' words as he spoke. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Ah, Listen to this. I know all things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. This is Jesus speaking about this church. Could he be saying the same thing to us? Listen to what he's saying. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm, like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They had an image of themselves apart from God. They let their possessions lord them, define them. And Jesus is stripping them bare and making them see, no, apart from me, you're nothing. Apart from me, you have nothing. Apart from me, you have no worth or no value. Apart from me, you think all of that defines you? Do you not recognize or do you not realize that you are wretched, that you are miserable, poor, blind, and naked? But he doesn't leave them there. He says, so I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me. So you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. Oh, did you hear that? From Jesus' mouth, from his heart. Come to me. I will heal you. I will give you worth and value. I will give you eyes to see. I will correct you. And I will discipline you. Because I love you. So be diligent. And turn from your indifference. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. Make up your mind, you all. 
Be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. He sees the condition of that church and he is rebuking them. He is reminding them of who he is and who they are or who are they supposed to be in him. He is calling them out to bring them in. And this beautiful picture of sharing the meal with us. Such an intimate picture. I stand at the door and knock. He's not kicking open the door. He's not forcing himself into your heart, into your life. You must open the door. You must allow him in. Stop holding the door. Stop turning away from the door and getting comfortable back in your old ways and your old life and your old rebellion towards his kingdom. Stop saying you love him when you know good and well he's not anything to you but a good luck charm. But a good luck charm. We have a little Jesus. We say our little prayers. We do all this weird stuff. And we're no different than the people who are in the occult. We're no different than religious people who bow to their shrines and, and pray to their idols. We're no different. We're no different. But we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be. We're supposed to live for Him. Because He died for us. He came for us. He's knocking on the heart. The door of our hearts. You must open it up. And look what you receive when you do. The fullness to be swallowed up in his love for eternity, you all. Not just on this side, but forever. And you can walk embraced in the love of God and see yourself as a whole person. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Go to Joshua chapter 22. We're walking through the word of God you say, but you preach so much already. Well, I've got more for you. So I hope you're holding on. And I hope you have your word with you. Go to Joshua chapter 22. And 20, um, we're starting at verse 21 through 23. We left off with these other <coughs> tribes returning to their land outside of the promised land. Remember last week? And all the tribes that were inside, they heard that they built an altar and they were ready to go to war. They knew what sin would do to them. They knew who, who their God was. They knew that he was a, a just God. And he was a God of, of not only love, but a God of wrath. They feared him. They knew they belonged to him. And now what are these other tribes doing? 
But before they ushered, even though they gathered to go to war, before they went to war, remember they sent that little delegation, delegate troops to them to, to find out, like, what are you doing? And so we pick up today, verse 21. The people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the clans of Israel. The Lord, the Mighty One, is God. The Lord, the Mighty One, is God. He knows the truth. And may Israel know it. We have not built the altar in, in treacherous rebellion against the Lord. If we have done so, do not spare our lives today. If we have built an altar for ourselves to turn away from the Lord or to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, may the Lord himself punish us. Oh, are you listening to their response? They know their God. Their heart wasn't in rebellion towards him. And I love how transparent they are. They're open. They're honest. They're affirming who God is. The truth is, we built this altar because we fear, listen to this, that in the future our descendants will say to ours, or your descendants will say to ours, what right do you have to worship the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and your people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord, so your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. So we decided to build the altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial. I will, it will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. If they say this, our descendants can reply, look at this, look at this copy of the Lord's altar that our ancestors made. It is not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. It is a reminder of the relationship both of us have with the Lord. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord or turn away from him by building our own altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or sacrifices. Only the altar of the Lord our God that stands in front of the tabernacle may be used for that purpose. When Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israel, heard this from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they were satisfied. Phinehas son of Eleazar the priest replied to them, Today we know the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. And we thought as we thought. Instead, you have rescued Israel from being destroyed by the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas son of Eleazar the priest and the other leaders left the tribes of Reuben and Gad and Gilead and returned to the land of Canaan to tell the Israelites what had happened. And all the Israelites were satisfied and praised God and spoke no more of war against Reuben and Gad. The people of Reuben and Gad named the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us and them that the Lord is our God today. Oh, come on. Do you not find such hope in those scriptures? Do you not see these, these at this time? Oh, because soon things change. 
But at this time, they were committed to God. They knew God. And not only were they concerned for themselves, but they were concerned for their future relatives. How are you living among your family? How are you pointing them to Jesus? Are you concerned for the future? Loved ones that are going to come forth. Are you just bound with them to the filth and the craziness of this earth? Are they going to know anything about God through your life? Are you standing as a witness bearing his image to them and for those to come that when your name comes from the lips of your descendants, you will be remembered as one who followed God. Oh, that's how you ought to be living. I love the fact that we see this beautiful picture of unity, of love, Love for God. The years passed, chapter 23, and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all of their enemies. Joshua was now very old. Called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel. He said to them, I am now a very old man. You have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. I have allotted to you as your homeland all the land of the nations yet unconquered, as well as the land of those who have already conquered from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea and the rest. This land will be yours, for the Lord your God will himself drive out all the people living there now. You will take possession of the land just as the Lord your God promised you. But look now how the conversation turns. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of of, of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Make sure you do not associate with other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. You see, the enemies are still among them. The other nations are still there. Remember, they were called to be a set-out people, a set-apart people. We're called to be the same. We're still in this world, but we're not of the world. We're still among non-believers. We're still among people to their, that will live their whole life rebelling against God. We will see all the chaos rise up. We will see the wickedness being displayed. We will see other gods being worshipped. But as the Israelites were called, and we're called the same, cling to God. <coughs> Don't get caught up to where you start clinging to what they have. Don't be impressed. Don't doubt God and go, well, is it really going to hurt if I do this? Don't listen to the lie of the enemy when he comes and says, did God really say you can't do this? 
I mean, doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it look good to you? Oh, no, no, no. You better remember from the beginning till the end. We are to abide in Christ. We are to cling to God and to God alone. For the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations for you, and no one has been able to defeat you. Each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy, for the Lord your God fights for you, just as he has promised. So be very careful, oh Jesus, help us, to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away from him and you cling to the customs of the survivors of those, these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry with them, then know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of your land. Instead, they will be a snare and a trap to you, a whip for your backs and thorny brambles in your eyes, and you will vanish from the good land the Lord your God has given you. So I will die, <clears throat> going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your heart, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. But as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disasters on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods, his anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the good land he has given you. They had everything. They had everything. And like I've always told you, when we decide to turn back, to dabble in sin, to give in to that temptation, to live in rebellion, to live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. We're doing it because we're saying God isn't enough. You see, that's what you come to understand. When you choose to go back, when you choose to reject Him, when you choose to act ugly, when you choose to allow the bad attitudes to come forth, when you choose to be a liar and a deceiver and a thief and a drunkard and a pervert or whatever it is, whatever you choose, it's a choice that you make because in your hearts of hearts, you said to yourself, He's not enough. And you go your way. But mark the Word of God. You go your way, he'll turn you over to it. You will receive his wrath because you've rejected his love. You have chosen to rebel against him. These people had everything they needed in, 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 in their relationship with God. But God knew they were going to turn against him. It wasn't time for the Messiah. It wasn't time for John 3.16 yet. God was preparing. God was, had already planned. Jesus was coming forth from this nation that he set apart for himself. But everything had to play out. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. And these people were warned. They heard truth. They saw God move in incredible ways. And yet... He wasn't enough. 
And you say, but why do we have to, why do they have to endure all that? Well, go to the New Testament, it tells you, for our sake. We're to learn from them. They had to endure all they went through for our sake. For our sake. Go read the Bible. So don't take it lightly as we study through the Old Testament. Joshua was dying. He knew his days were numbered. And look how he went out, reminding them about God. He wasn't murmuring, he wasn't complaining about his life, he wasn't mad at God. No, in fact, he reminded them, God's been faithful, you all, you remain faithful. And when he was talking about intermarrying them, he wasn't talking about uh, the, the, the race, because Moses married outside of his race. He was talking mainly about the worshiping of other gods. That you should not be in relationship with an unbeliever. You should be very leery as a child of God of entering a relationship who, with one who isn't of God. Because they will lead you astray. You will be turned over to their gods, to their passions, to their likings, to their customs. Don't think it's not true? Read the word. In fact, even in the New Testament, as the church was being birthed, there were discussions, oh, what do I do? I'm married to an unbeliever. I'm giving my life to Christ, but I'm married, so what do I do with an unbeliever spouse? And so they had to be instructed, then live your life before them in hopes that by the way you live for Christ and love Christ, they would come to know Christ. You just don't up and denounce and remove yourself from the marriage. No, but you live for Christ. Oh, it's going to be hard, but stand for Christ in the assurance of who Christ is and love and serve. There's a way to live and, and, and to manage your household as a servant of the Lord instead of just giving in every single day and acting like you don't know the Lord. But here they were, they were told. And it is no difference than us today. You yoke yourself in a relationship with someone who is not a follower of Christ. And you better understand the influence they're going to have over your life. And I know what we like to say, but I'll be the influence over them. Oh, you're not big enough to influence them. And you better deal with the understanding of what has attracted you to them. Because it ought to be God, their love for God that attracts you to them. And if they're not loving God, you better deal with what's in your heart that you're attracted to than someone who doesn't love God. Oh, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. Joshua cared enough about the people he led to speak truth, even in his dying hours. My life is done but keep loving God. Remain committed to him. Cling to him. Go to Luke chapter 20, verse 27 through 47. Luke chapter 20, verse 27 through 47.
Luke chapter 20, verse 27 through 47. Last week, uh, we ended with Jesus giving this beautiful understanding. Give Caesar what belongs to Caesar because his image is on that coin, but give God what belongs to God. The created ones were marked by God. We have been made in his image and we belong to him. And so we should be giving ourselves to him and to him alone. We pick up verse 27. Then Jesus was approached by the Sadducees, religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife but no children, his brothers should marry the widow and have a child who will carry out on the brother's name. Well, suppose we're seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died. Then the third brother married her. This continued until all seven of them who died without children. Finally, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. I mean, listen to the arrogance that's coming from these religious leaders. They weren't there sincerely seeking Jesus. They were there just to stir up strife. That's what religious people do. Always challenging and questioning. Always trying to make the gospel and the message of God this, this weird, pathetic, weakened gospel. And that there's always there's some type of flaw in it. That's what religious people do because that's what the enemy does. Always questioning God's word. Always trying to throw doubt in it. To deceive many. To keep many from the truth. But Jesus replied, Marriage is for people here on earth. I love Jesus, you all. God, I hope you're knowing. He doesn't mince words. He's not that weak-willed Jesus that, that so many people love. No, he's Jesus, you all. Fully God, fully man. He knows who he's dealing with. He knows that these religious men do not represent him. Or God the Father. Even though they think they do. He's already exposed them. He's already told them, your father is the devil. And so then he turns... And he says to them, marriage is for people here on earth. But in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses, this, when he wrote, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are alive in him. Oh, could we not find hope today in the resurrection of Christ? and the resurrection of Christ, and those who are in Christ. The hope that we have, 
the message of Christ that we have, the gospel that we have to go forth and to share that there is hope, the resurrection hope that is found in Christ, that we are not going to remain dead, but alive in Christ, raised up in Christ, not to be angels. Huh. So please do not fall in that weird teaching that is running amok the church. I don't even have time to go into that foolishness. But we are to be raised up. We will be raised up if you are in Christ. We will enter in into an eternity with Him. Oh, that's great news. And they replied, Well said, teacher, remarked some of the teachers of the religious law who were standing there, and then no one dared to ask Him any more questions. Because every time they came to him, he kept stripping them naked and bare in front of all of their followers. Then Jesus presented them with a question. <laughs> Why is it, he asked, that the Messiah is said to be the son of David? For David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Since David called the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? Then with the crowds listening, he turned to his disciples and said, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head of tables at tables at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. That's Jesus for you all. He doesn't play. Trip up people in your, with your so-called Christian life, with your so-called religious life. He, he's not playing. He's God. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're either loving him with your whole heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your body, with everything about you, or you're not. So stop playing. Stop. And I've always told you, the greatest deception is that you're deceiving yourself. Not that you're deceiving others, but that you're deceiving yourself. Labeling yourself, labeling yourself a Christian when you're not a Christian. Telling yourself that you love him, but you don't. The world is getting darker. Religion is on the rise. The Antichrist is about to take his place. And many are going to be swept away into God's wrath because they believe that he is the Messiah. And we're playing church. I go to church. I believe in Jesus. I said a prayer one time. I got water trampled on my head. I got baptized. Oh, yeah, I've done this. I've done that. Oh, I'm a Christian. Aren't I a Christian? I'm a Christian. 
and you're so far from God, and God doesn't even know you. And then you expect pastors just to get up and preach you a come good, feel good message, pat you on your back, and send you out back out into the world. What the heck are we doing? Do you not see what we're living out today? Do you not understand what's going on today? God help us. God help us. Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He is seated at the throne of God. At the right hand. He's God, you all. And he came from God. Because God purposed to have a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God. Is he your God? Go to Psalm 89, verse 14 through 37. Psalm 89, verse 14 through 37. The book of Psalms. I keep encouraging you. God, I hope you're in them. God, I hope you're getting, you're drawing encouragement and strength from these psalmists. They went through life. They've endured life, but they've learned who their God is. They love their God, and they're looking up. No matter what they're facing, they're looking up. Psalm 39, I mean 89, verse 14 through 37. Righteous and justice, oh my goodness, are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before as you, before you as attendants. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. Oh, get this picture, you all. They exalt you in your righteousness. You are their glorious strength. It pleases you to make us strong. Yes, our protection comes from the Lord. And He, the Holy One of Israel, has given us our King. Long ago, you spoke in a vision to your faithful people. You said, I have raised up a warrior. I have selected him from the common people to be king. I have found my servant David. I have anointed him with my holy oil. I will steady, I will steady him with my hand. With my powerful arm, I will make him strong. His enemies will not defeat him, nor will the wicked overpower him. I will beat down his adversaries before him and destroy those who hate him. My faithfulness and unfailing love will be with him, and my authority he will grow in power. I will extend his rule over the sea, his dominion over the rivers, and he will call out to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will make him I will make him my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. I will love him and be kind to him forever. My covenant with him will never end. I will preserve an heir for him. Oh, you better write Jesus next to that. His throne will be as endless as the days of heaven. 
But if his descendants forsake my instructions and fail to obey my regulations, if they do not obey my decrees and fail to keep my commands, then I will punish their sin with the rod and their disobedience with a beating. But I will never stop loving him nor fail to keep my promise to him. No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. I have sworn an oath to David, and in my holiness, I cannot lie. His dynasty will go on forever. His kingdom will endure as the sun. It will be as eternal as the moon and my faithful witness in the sky. Oh, come on. Know your God. Love your God. Stop being ashamed of Him. Stop cowering down because those who are enslaved to sin and entrapped by Satan rears their ugly head at you. Stand up and live. Stand up and love. Stand up and serve. Stand up and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. God set apart the Israelites to bring forth the Messiah. God set up David as the mightiest king in his throne, knowing good and well the Messiah will come from David's line. And that Messiah's rule and reign will never end. It's Jesus, you all. He, this, this is God that we're talking about. And some of you will get up today or turn off your PC and you'll go right back out living as if he isn't God. But yet you've heard today the good news. God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus. What are you doing with Jesus? Oh, how I pray that you long to be in his presence. That you long to grow and to mature as a Christian. Stop beating yourself up that you're not a good Christian. Get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on Christ. Desire to grow and to mature, to accept Him, to be baptized, to be discipled, to be in fellowship, to grow as a believer, to mature as a believer. This is your hope. This is all we have. This world is not our home. What awaits us is glorious. So keep your head up. Your redemption is drawing near. He's coming back for us. So don't fall prey to rule of chaos and confusion in your heart and your mind. Don't let sin master you. Live out the newness of life for you have been born again. If you've accepted Jesus, if you truly know who he is, and you've accepted him, then live for him. Go to Proverbs. We're ending. Verse, chapter 13, 17, verse 17 through 19. Three nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 13. Oh, you ought to preach yourself happy. I had one of the roughest weeks in my life this past week. I mean, I've had some rough periods in life. But it's been a long time since I've had one of these weeks. 
And my heart kept crying out, oh God, I'm tired of humans. They exhaust me. I'm exhausted. If I had to hear one more person whine and complain, if I had to deal with one more assault on my character, on the characters of others that lead with me, if I had to deal with these miserable people one more moment, oh God, I'm going to lose my mind. God reminded me, be still, my son, because you're no different than them. When you assault me, when you rail against me, in those moments in these seasons in your life, when you've done no different than what they're doing, turn and love them. Turn and serve them. And praise be to God. I felt the conviction. I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my feelings got hurt. I'm tired of having to to do and to lead in the midst of of chaos. It's much easier just to kind of pull back and just sit and just, ah, let someone else worry. But that's not who he's called me for or you for. People are, are desperate nowadays, you all. And we ought to be strengthened. And so I turned and I, I began to love and to serve. After repenting, after resolving, and re, I resolved to make up my mind to be who Christ has called me to be. After I released all the stuff that I was trying to yoke myself up with, I had a better vision and a clearer heart and mind as I've applied the truth of God to love and to serve. And it ended up being a wonderful week. You see, you got to put it into practice, you all. You got to live it out. You got to take the wisdom in which you're hearing and apply it. This is who we are. We're Christians, we're followers of Christ. So hear the wisdom. From Proverbs today, three nuggets of wisdom. For God's sakes, you've heard so much wisdom already, but let's end with just three little nuggets. Verse 17 through 19. An unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. If you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honored. And finally, it is pleased to see dreams come true, but fools refuse to turn from evil to attain them. This is the wisdom we have. So go forth this day, you all, having a desire to cling to Christ, to draw close to Christ, but above all, I pray, to live for Christ. I'm going to close this with a song of worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.
Cause I need 